passage that was read in New Zealand this morning talks about the outward man perishing, yet the inward man being renewed day by day. We realize that our physical body has the physical senses of touch and smell and sight and hearing and taste. But we also need to think about the senses of the soul. I want you of our meeting, that is, to begin Sunday, talk about what I call the senses of the inward man or the spiritual man. I think we need to think carefully concerning these matters because it's easy for us to ignore the senses of the spiritual man due to the demands and the appeals of our physical body as I discussed last Sunday. We need to have a deep sense of thankfulness and gratitude. One of the real dangers that all of us face is losing a sense of appreciation and gratitude for the multiplied blessings that are ours. It seems that the greater the blessings we have, the greater the tendency is to lack an appreciation for them. In the 17th chapter of the book of Luke, we have the account of ten lepers. And uh, nine of these evidently were Jews who were used to the blessings that God had provided in the revelation of the Old Testament, the oracles that had been given to them and the system of Judaism. There was one that was a leper that did not enjoy all these blessings. But it was the one who lacked the privileges and the blessings that others had that was really thankful for his healing. And out of ten lepers that were healed, only one returned to the Lord to give him thanks. That may be a solemn reminder of the percentage. So many times where we enjoy blessings without really taking time to be thankful for them, that we lose our sense of gratitude and thankfulness. Am I thankful for the church of the Lord? Am I thankful for the gospel of Christ? In his prayer this morning, Brother Shelley offered thanks for the freedom that we enjoy in this country, but am I really thankful for it? Am I grateful for it? Think about the people around the world today who will not be able to read from the Bible as we've read from it. They'll not be able to enter into assemblies such as this unmolested and without being disturbed or controlled by the powers that be. How would we like to be in a country like that? How did people end up getting in a situation like that? One of the reasons that people lose their freedom and their blessings is because of a lack of appreciation and thankfulness for Are we really grateful that beginning next Sunday we have a meeting started? 
Are we looking forward to it? Do we anticipate great things as far as our own spiritual blessings and spiritual development is concerned? Or are we thinking about it something like being a burden and an added uh, responsibility that we are placed upon us and we'll find no sense of anticipation of joy at all. We need to think carefully about it. Would you like to be where the gospel cannot be preached? Would you like to be where there are no gospel meetings? These are some things that we need to stop and think about. I think will help us appreciate the privilege that we'll have this coming week. And uh, for four days of hearing the gospel. I've seen a list of the subjects in tonight. tonight. I may read a list of the subjects. Brother Collins is going to use all of them will be basic and fundamental to our present situation and to our needs. Everybody in Adamsville needs to hear the lessons that will be discussed. The day services will be of a special benefit in that the lessons will be dealing with uh, problems that all of us are confronted with and things that we need to think about. And so we need to develop a sense of thankfulness and a sense of gratitude. Romans 1 describes the downfall of the Gentile world by saying that they were not thankful. The result shows the downward course and finally the consequence where they ended up without God and without hope. Will that happen to us? Think about the places where the church of the Lord existed in the first century. Think about the seven churches of Asia. Where are they today? What happened to them? Did the Lord, in some way, just blot them out? Or did it result from their not being thankful and appreciate the gospel that they had? I want the time to come, and would you want the time to come, where that your children in this community would not have a church of the Lord in which to worship? One of the ways to bring that about is for us not to be thankful for the church here at Adamsville and to appreciate the opportunities that we have in assembling and in worshiping God. I hope that when you go home today and before this day is over, you'll bow your knee and thank God for the church at Adamsville and for the privilege of uh, looking forward towards the meeting that will begin next Sunday and the opportunity of growing spiritually. And if we cannot find it in our heart to do that, it ought to remind us that we're traveling down a dangerous road. We're like the nine lepers who have been healed of leprosy but have no appreciation for it and is unwilling to go back to the Lord and say, Thank you, Lord, for the healing. That's mine. But not only do we need a sense of thankfulness, we also need a sense of loyalty. Where are our loyalty? I realize that the word loyalty is not found in the Bible. And yet the principle is there. It's stated over and over. For example, Jesus said, 
He that loveth mother, father, brother, sister more than me is not worthy of me. That's just another way of saying it. That the one who's lacking in loyalty to me above everything else is unworthy of me. Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But underscores the vital nature of loyalty. In the third chapter of the book of Daniel, in verse 17, we have the record of where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was called upon to bow down before the night. They said, we're not going to do it. It's only for 30 days. That doesn't matter. Jerry is an example of loyalty. They said that we had rather die than be disloyal to our God. How many of us could have reasoned and said, well, 30 days won't be too bad. I can make it for 30 days without God. Then at the end of 30 days, I'll correct. Not that right, me taking the bed to God. They said we won't live one day being disloyal to God even at the price of death. You hear Revelation 2.10 quoted very often, Be thou faithful unto death. And it's usually emphasis is given that be thou faithful up until you die. But that's not the point in that passage. The point in the passage is be faithful even if you, it costs you your life. And that's what takes place in the book of Revelation. They were facing death. In fact, when Jesus said in Matthew 10, He that confesses me upon the earth, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. He that denies me upon the earth, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. In the context of that chapter, Jesus is reminding people that if you're called upon at the sake of saving your own physical life to deny me, if you do that, then I'll disown. On the other side, if you're called upon to acknowledge me and even die in doing that, that's the one that I will confess. And there's the loyalty that the Bible calls for. And we need to have that sense of loyalty. How little does it take to cause us to throw up our hands and quit? Suppose between now and next Sunday. We had to face the threat of the loss of life, going to jail. In our acknowledgement of our faith in and our obedience to the Word of God, how much of that sin I run? How many of us would be out the next Sunday? 
unto the threat of a policeman being out at the door. And the possibility of facing jail if we assembled in this building next Sunday to worship God. How many of us have faced it? That's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, He that confesses me upon the earth, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. He that denies me, him will I deny. If a policeman stood at the door next Sunday and said, everyone that walks through that door to worship God will go to jail, just as surely as I turned my back and went back home, Jesus said, when you come to stand before God, I'll deny you. I'll not confess. What about our law? Where are we? Paul said that he was willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. He went to jail rather than compromise the truth. Faith Nero. How many of us have that kind of conviction and that kind of loyalty? May I ask the question? If when the meeting begins next Sunday, we do not have an interest enough in that meeting to work for it, to support it, to pray for it, to live for it. Who am I to believe that if I face the threat of death or of jail, that I'd be loyal to my God rather than deny? And yet that's exactly what Jesus said. I'm asking the question this morning, where are our Lord? Do we have a sense of loyalty? That says, I'll put God first, let come what will. I'm not going to let anything stop me from serving God, regardless of what the price may be. But that's what New Testament Christianity demands. That's what the Lord calls for. That's the kind of sense of loyalty that we must have. We're going to be acceptable to the Lord. But then in the third place, we need to have a sense of shame. We're living in a shameless society. In Ephesians 5 and 12, Paul said, By some things that it's a shame to speak of. But he couldn't have said that in our day. There's not anything that our present society is ashamed of. It doesn't matter how godly, irreverent, immoral, Or whatever. Our present society is not ashamed of anything. And one of the ways that you can trace a decadent society 
and the downfall of nations is by seeing how that they lost a sense of change. There's not anything we're ashamed of today. I don't believe that there's anything that this nation would be ashamed to put on television in public view of everybody. The movies, the pornography, and the multiplied thousands of things that's going on in our society today is an indication that we are a people that have no sin or shame. And when people lose a sense of shame, they lose a sense of faith. How can one ever be convicted of sin that's ashamed of nothing? There's no way. There's not any way that one will ever be brought to acknowledge his sin and his need of God when there's not anything that he's ashamed of. The profanity that's used today is a disgrace to a people that at one time was a God-fearing people that came to this country because they were innocent in faith and because they believed in God and because they wanted to live and serve God. But it seems today that people think that it's impossible to express themselves without using the vilest language that people can conceive of. This is but another indication and another index of our sense of the law of shame. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said that they ought to be ashamed of their ignorance of the Bible and of the truth. We're not like that anymore. We're not embarrassed over the fact and ashamed that our knowledge of the Bible is limited and that we're not seeking to know more about it. So, we need to develop a sense of shame, a sense of loyalty, and a sense of gratitude. But not only that, we need to have a sense of responsibility. Let me raise the question. The world's law Who's responsible for its salvation? Be careful now. Did I say they are? I ain't. Where did we learn that my being a Christian does not involve my responsibility for a world that's lost? You know, it's easy for us to say, well, but the church ought to do so-and-so, but who's the church? We make the church. I'm the church. 
And when I'm talking about what the church ought to do, I'm talking about what I ought to do. And I need to have a sense of responsibility as we think about the meeting. And a world that's lost, do we think about the elders have a responsibility to a world that's lost? I don't. Where did we get that idea? Every Christian ought to have a sense of responsibility towards the law. And one of the ways we can fulfill that responsibility is by inviting them to the meeting and encouraging them to come. Think about wayward members. People that have become careless. We say they have a responsibility towards them, but do I have a responsibility towards them? Would this not be a good opportunity to try to bring back and restore wayward Christians as well as to reach the law? When I raise the question, but whose responsibility is that? Well, listen to what. Paul said in Galatians 6, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Who's he talking to? He's talking to individual Christians. Therefore, we all have that responsibility. But do I have a sense of responsibility toward the Members of this congregation that may be negligent and careless and lost this day. Does it bother me and is there a concern on my part? And am I willing to try to do something toward meeting that responsibility? Then we have a responsibility toward the influence of the church in this community being the right time. And that means that I have the responsibility of conducting myself in such a way that the church here will be respected. And if the church is not respected, and I'm the part of the blame for it, it's because I did not accept my responsibility. How does the world look at my life? Do I see my own life as being one responsible for God? for the church in Adamsville to be respected by those who are in the community. Therefore, my life is interested in good work. They see the light of my life and the influence. That's what Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And he said that men may see your good works and be brought to glorify your Father which is in heaven. Does our Christianity affect us enough? Is our good works in our lives that people see the light of the gospel through that? I need to have a sense of responsibility for saving the law, toward the purity of the church, toward restoring the heirs. But then when the Bible talks about unity, do I have a sense of responsibility toward the unity of the church? 
Does not every Christian have a responsibility toward that end? Is that a responsibility that belongs only to the elders and the preachers? Or is that something that rests upon every Christian? Listen to what Jesus prayed for. I pray not for these alone, but for all of them which will believe on me through thy word, that they may be one. Who do you pray for? Believers. Christians are believers. Therefore he prayed that there might be unity. And I have a responsibility, an individual responsibility. And if I fail in that individual responsibility, I'm as guilty as the preacher that caused the vision, or the elder that caused the vision. As an individual responsibility, and I need to have a sense of responsibility. Act 4.32 said, that they were all of one heart and one soul, and not one of them said that all of the things that you said were wrong. There's a sense of responsibility. Is that the kind of sense of responsibility that we have toward the purity, the unity, and the work, and the worship of the church? That's the kind of responsibility that we need to have. But then finally, we need to have a sense of urgency. One of the real dangers that we face is in thinking that we have plenty of time. That we don't have to do it now. When I lived in Gibson, I had a lady that called me up one day and asked me to go visit someone in the hospital. They were from out of town and they happened to know them. And they said to me that this man has a cancer. He doesn't have long to live and he needs somebody to go and talk to him and talk to him about his soul. She said it's urgent. But what she failed to realize was it was urgent 30 years ago. It did not reach just urgency just then. For every day that the man lived without God and without hope, it was urgent that he be impressed with his soul the importance of obeying the truth. And we need to have a sense of urgency. How are we going to look at the meeting? There are souls all around us here in Adamsville that are lost. Do we have the attitude that there's time? How many of us know this morning? What some of the souls here in Adamsville will have the last opportunity they'll ever have to hear the gospel during this meeting. There will not be another opportunity for others. Do you mean to tell me that oh, everybody in Adamsville will live until the meeting in August? There's an urgency that ought to cause us to be interested and concerned and work for the needs. What about the ones that are naked? 
there's an urgency about it. The longer that people stay in sin, the harder they become in sin. And the more difficult it is to reach. And the greater the price they pay for having lived in sin without God and without hope. Therefore, we need to have a sense of urgency. It may well be the last meeting that some of us will ever attend, for all we know. Not a one of us in this audience this morning has a leaf on life. It's there. There'll be another meeting and another time. God doesn't promise us that. How many of us would like to leave this world with a provision made for our spiritual growth and development and opportunity for us to reach souls? Because we said, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry, there'll be another meeting. You don't have to be too anxious and too concerned about this one. Then let it go by. And stand before God in judgment. For the need and neglect. The opportunity to think. For us to grow. To share and to save. People around the back. Yes, it's easy for us to forget about how uncertain life is. That we have no promise of tomorrow. The Bible warns about our taking that age. May I this morning in the fear of God and the love of my soul in you urge and encourage every one of us who are members of this congregation to work and pray as we've never worked and prayed before for this meeting. Is it possible that just those of us who are here this morning, not counting the ones who are members here but are not here today, is it possible that those of us this morning are lacking in influence and the ability that we could not fill this building for this meeting. Is it possible that we're lacking in interest to the degree that we can fill this building with all the people that we need to influence and invite and encourage to come? Of course, we're hoping that people come from other congregations. And we ought to remember that this meeting is not arranged by the elders or people of other congregations. If they want to enjoy it and profit by it, well and good. But it's arranged for the church here at Adamsville and for the people in this community. That's the reason this meeting was arranged. Let us not sit back and hope and say, well, Brother Collins is well known and people from all over Birmingham will come and hear it. Well and good if they do. But he's coming to Birmingham for the people in Adamsville and for the members of the Lord Church at Adamsville to hear him first and foremost. 
It'll be tragic. And it'll tell a sad commentary on our Christianity. When the meeting's over, we haven't worked and prayed to reach as many people as we could. I just know that if we give our hearts and our minds to it between now and next Sunday, we can fill this building for every service. I believe the people that are here this morning will do that. That's the reason that I've taken the time this morning to encourage and exhort that we work for the meeting. I lived at East Jefferson. Brother H.A. A. Dixon held a meeting. We never printed a piece of advertising for the meeting. In January of that year, we began announcing the meeting and encouraging people to work for the meeting. We didn't want to add in the paper or anything. The meeting was in June. We had the best attended meeting in all the 13 years that I stayed at East Gap, and 26 souls at that time. Why? Because God's people in East Gap invited and worked and prayed for that meeting. What happened there can happen here if we do the same thing. Are you here this morning, not a Christian? As is, as is the usual procedure, on the Wednesday preceding our meeting, all the classes will meet in the auditorium except the preschool classes, where we have singing and prayer and comments as various ones may want to offer words of exhortation and encouragement toward the meeting. So let's remember this Wednesday evening that we'll join in singing praises and prayer unto God for the meeting and have some words of exhortation from various ones in relation to our responsibilities and opportunities. I thought perhaps you'd be interested in the subjects that Brother Collins is going to discuss. To be listed in the bulletin this week. But here are the subjects that will be discussed. Sunday morning at the 9.30 Bible study, the subject will be obedience to God, the fundamental of all fundamentals. <clears throat> the Sunday morning lesson at the regular worship hour will be the gospel according to God. And then Sunday evening, a lesson especially for young people, Decisions determine destiny. And then on Monday night, the church neither Catholic nor Protestant. On Tuesday night, Christ is alive. On Wednesday night, the second coming of Christ, it staggers my imagination. And then on Monday morning, <coughs> the subject will be Jesus and Mary. Tuesday morning, daily living with Christ. And Wednesday, I shall not want. I think that you can see that these subjects are all subjects that are basic and fundamental to our present needs and problems of today. And I'd like to encourage you to think about them and uh, 
I thought that it would encourage you to want to be here even more in the realization of the lessons that he's going to present. In the second chapter of the book of Malachi, verse 3, God said to the Israelites, I'll curse your blessings. So many times we have blessings that we abuse, and that result of our lack of appreciation of these blessings, they turn into curses. And that's what God said to the nation of Israel. Because they had failed to in appreciate the blessings that God had given them, God said, these blessings will become your curses. On the other hand, when life is filled with burdens, these burdens may become blessings instead of barriers. And the passage that was read from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, beginning in verse 31 through the rest of that chapter, describes some of the difficulties and the trials that God's people face. And it's characterized them down through the east. For <clears throat> he said, as it's written, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's the way the word is always treated, godly, righteous, God-fearing, and God-serving people. As a result of this, Many times life is filled with trials and burdens and difficulties. And unless we learn how to handle our burdens and to turn them into blessings, they may, may become barriers instead of blessings to us. And uh, that's the reason that Paul gave the exhortation and the encouragement that he did in the, the latter part of the 8th chapter of Romans. We live in a world that's filled with burdens and heartache. In the sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, Paul urges, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then he said, every man shall bear his own burden. And so life is filled with burdens. And we need to learn how to be able to take the burdens of life and to turn them into blessings. And thus, verse 37 of Romans 8, Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When we learn how to take the principles of Christianity and apply them to our lives in relation to the burdens of life, we can take our burdens and turn them into blessings. Think, for example, of Joseph. Think of how difficult it must have been how his heart must have felt whenever despised by his own brothers and sold in the bunch. How easy it would have been for him to say, I've done nothing to receive such a treatment as this. Then being sold into bondage and serving as best he could to be lied on and then put in prison. Now just think about all of that. Suppose that uh, as a young person, and Joseph was some 17 or 18 years old when he was sold by his brother, just think about facing that. What would that do to lie for most of us today? How would we handle that? How would we look at that? 
But Joseph took the burdens of being despised by his own family, by his own brothers, and being sold into bondage. He took the burden of being lied on when he was innocent and being placed in prison. And instead of letting his life become bitter, he turned it into a blessing. Read Genesis 39 beginning and then through the rest of the book of Genesis, which we studied on Sunday morning. Finally, when Joseph's brothers are made known to him and after Jacob dies, they are afraid. They're concerned about what Joseph's going to do to him. Joseph said, I know you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And therefore the attitude that Joseph accepted, his trials and his difficulties, changed them, changed his burdens into blessings. Not only for himself, but for others as well. And then... <clears throat> There are others that have followed the same path in life. Think about Moses. I do not know how old he was when he was carried to Pharaoh's home, to Pharaoh's palace, and there to be brought up. But surely, just as a very young person, some think maybe 10 or 12, or maybe even less than that. We have no idea. The Bible doesn't state what his age was when he was carried uh, to Pharaoh's house, but whatever the age may have been, think of how tragic life could have been to a young person like that. But Moses turned the burden of being separated from his family and from his mother into a blessing. And that blessing became the salvation of his people and the salvation of the nation. Think how difficult it would be for a young person today to accept that. And to think about my life is so hard and bitter, and yet Moses faced it in this way and manner. Then when you think about the book of Job, and the Bible describes Job as being a man that was patient, and we know the trials and the difficulties that Job suffered, but until you come to the last chapter of the book of Job, you cannot really appreciate how Job turned his difficulties and his burdens into blessings. Listen to the 42nd chapter of the book of Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I'll speak, I'll demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee, and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job has. And then he commands them to take a sacrifice and offer that. Verse 10 says, 
And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friend. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I'll go back and read the first part of the book of Job. And see all the trials of life that he faced and the burdens that he had to bear. The loss of uh, his poverty, the loss of his children, uh, afflicted bodily, sore from the crown of his head to the bottom of his feet, his wife telling him to curse God and die. His friends accusing him of being a sinner and responsible for all of his trouble. Yet through all of that, Job maintained his integrity. In fact, God knew what he was talking about when he said to Satan, There's not a man anywhere like Job. I know the kind of man he is, and Satan said, You've him to me. You put a fence around him. But if he had to live like other people, he had cursed. God said, all right, we'll try now, and we'll see. His life is to be spared. Then all the burdens began to fall upon Job. Job took the burdens of his life and turned them into blessings as the chapter which I read from Job. What a wonderful thing. To be able to take the burdens of life and instead of letting them ruin me and destroy them, but to be able to use them to be a blessing to myself and for others. Think about how it must have come home to the heart of Job when his friends accused him of being sinful. Then what you are suffering is all because of your sin. Living through all of that. And his wife telling him to curse God and die. And then finally you come to the last chapter. The Bible says that Job prayed for his friend. What a wonderful...